get situated. Due days is one of the highlights we have around here. Um, for those of you that aren't Farmington people, that's kind of our little community um, community event that we have every year. And we love to be a part of that because everything is happening right side of our building. So when we bought this building, one of the main reasons we loved it is we want to be a part of our community. We want to meet people. We want to reach out. We want to be a place that people know we're here and that we're making an impact in our community. So this is, they're literally coming to us. <laughs> so the more you can be around and help us next week uh, for karaoke, um, you know, Stephen said we need volunteers. We don't need you to sing the whole time, like, but we need people to hand out balloons and make popcorn and things like that. But really encourage you to jump on board uh, for the parade we walk around. We'll hand out probably a thousand invitations for people who are sitting along the streets to come join us at Homestead. So get involved in that. It's a really big deal and we want to be a part of that. So if I haven't met you, I'm Christy Kerr. My husband, Jeff, are the pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us today. And we're starting a new series that we're going to be doing over the rest of the summer um, on the book of Psalms. So we're going to be covering uh, just a number of different psalms, uh, looking at some of our favorite psalms. You're going to be hearing from all of our staff on what some of their favorite psalms are. And so we're excited to kind of dig into this book of the Bible. So first I want to give you just a little bit of background and history on the book of Psalms. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn right there. It's right in the middle. It's the biggest book in the Bible. And Psalms is basically a collection of poems and songs. They include laments, prayers, praise, wisdom, thanksgiving, reflection, celebration, and worship. The Psalms are really a collection of the human experience, right? It's a collection of the people who wrote them, their joys and their sorrows. And I love that they're both there. It's not just psalms of like, isn't everything amazing? But there are songs of, God, where are you? God, have you forgotten me? When are you going to intervene, right? So it's all there. It's the celebration of the best and the mourning of the worst. It's filled with hopes and it's filled with disappointments. And at the center of all of this is the writer's relationship with God, their gratefulness to him for the ways that he's provided. It's filled with songs of desire to know God better and to follow him in all his ways. They are talking to God. They're pouring out their hearts of their disappointments and heartache when he hasn't answered their prayers in the way that they wanted. And it's filled with a hope of the promise to give us strength to endure. And so what's beautiful about any song or any poetry, what makes it so powerful is that when we read someone else's experience, we can find our own experience in it, can't we? Right? When we hear something and it connects with us, it reminds us of our own joys and sorrows. And so the psalmist, the psalms are really special to us in the life of believers. So historically, the psalms were written over a thousand years so if you think about that, if you read all of them, they are spread out. It's a thousand years of collection. So that's really interesting. They were originally meant to be accompanied by instruments, and they would have been sung by people as an expression of their faith. There was a long process of collecting all of these songs and poems. They were passed down first verbally from generation to generation. So just like your mom might have sung you a song in the ancient Bible times, 
the songs were sung and passed down and passed down, and then eventually they were written down and organized into the collection that we have now. And this process of editing and selecting which ones and then transcribing them into the book today was completed about the time, I thought this was super interesting, at the, re at the time of the return of the exiles from Babylon. So what's interesting is these psalms had been sung verbally over and over. The, to the, the poems had been told over and over again. And then they're conquered by Babylon. And all of a sudden, all the Jewish people are spread out. And they go to Babylon. And that's the moment that the leaders and priests decide, we better write all this down. I hope we all get to come back together again. But everybody is spread out. And it is important for us to document this history of our faith. And so a lot of people believe at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, when they returned from Babylon, that that is when the Psalms were then written down. And we see in the New Testament, they had the book of Psalms. We see Jesus quote Psalms at the temptation when he is combating Satan. He uses scripture and what he quotes back to Satan is two Psalms. So they are an important part of our faith. There are 150 different psalms, and they're collected into five units. There are many authors. It's not a book of just one person who wrote them. Many of them were written by King David. Out of the 150 of them, 73 are written by David. But there are lots of other people. Asaph, the sons of Korah, Solomon, Heman, Ethan, and Moses all wrote psalms. So that's kind of some of the background about psalms. So as we are going to look into a number of them, we're going to find a lot of different angles because some of them were written in really great times in people's history. Some of them were written in really difficult times. Some of them were written by King David and some of them were written by the sons of Korah. So we're going to find a whole lot of variety as we look at them. So today I get to talk about one of my favorite psalms. And so I picked Psalm 119. Now, if you are a church person, you're going, oh, no, because that is the longest book in the entire Bible. Psalm 119 has 176 verses. So we're going to start with verse 1. Here we go. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to go through all of them. I promise you that. That's too long. Um, but it's one of my favorite psalms, and so I get to talk about that today. So we don't know who the author of this particular psalm was. Some believe that it was David, but we really don't know. Um, and I love this psalm for another of a number of reasons. So first of all, academically, this is a really cool psalm. It's a poetic um, acrostic, okay? So what that means is there are 22 stanzas. And if you look in your Bible, mine has is actually divided up. There are 22 stanzas, and each one of them begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, just like we have 26 in our English. And so the very first uh, stanza begins with the word aleph, which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then there's eight verses that go with aleph. Then there's B, uh, bet, is the second letter, and there's eight verses there. And it goes all the way through the alphabet. I think that's cool. Anybody think that's interesting? Okay, it's nerdy, nerdy stuff, but I think it's cool. But what I really love about Psalm 119 is this is a poem that is an expression of the psalmist's love for God's word. It's an expression of love for God's word. There are eight words in this poem, 176 verses, that are used over and over and over and over and over again. Here are the eight words. Instructions, laws, words, regulations, 
statutes, commands, decrees, commandments, and promises. This psalm is filled with these words. The psalmist is talking about how much he loves the instructions of God, how much he relies on the laws of God, how much he cares about the commandments of God. He is moved to express how important the scriptures are to his life, how much he relies on these teachings to govern his life, how much comfort he finds in the instructions of God, and how important they are to his everyday living. It really is odd when you think about it, right? How many of you have ever been moved to write a song about the traffic laws of Minnesota? Like, I'm so grateful for the laws and instructions of the state of Minnesota. They filled me with comfort and joy, right? Or how many of you feel compelled to write poetry about the laws of physics? Oh, man, gravity. What would I do without you, right? I meditate on the laws of motion, and it comforts me in my soul. Well, no, of course not. But this is exactly what we're talking about here. He's talking about how these laws and instructions and precepts and commands and teachings have an effect on his life. And he's talking about how much it means to him. That's unique, isn't it? The psalmist does not look at the regulations of God as things he begrudgingly has to follow. He looks at what the instructions the Bible gives them, and he's grateful for them, and he desires to follow them with all his heart. Now, my personality, I I tend to be a little wild and free, but I also really like to have instructions I like, how many of you like instruction manuals? You want all the information, you want to know, I know you do. <laughs> She's like, what is the rule, right? Um, I like instruction manuals. I like gaining knowledge. It helps me feel prepared for the things that I encounter. I find that I feel safe and settled when I have a game plan and I have all the information. Anybody else like that? I want to know what the parameters are. And Psalm 119 is a beautiful reflection on how the instructions, insights, and precepts of God bring this sense of safety and encouragement and stability to our lives. And it's more than just, well, good, I know the rules, so now I can make sure that I do them right. There's an element that recognizes that these rules and regulations and precepts show us the care and love involved in God's instructions to us. Now, as when you're a kid, when your parents put rules and instructions and regulations to you, you don't see that there is love behind that, right? You don't see that your parents are putting parameters in your life for your safety and for your benefit. No, you just think they're mean and no fun, right? You don't see the reasoning behind why they've given you parameters, But as you mature and get older, and maybe you become a parent yourself and you grow, you can look back and you can see how out of the great love and care your parents had for you, they put structures around you. They put things around your life. They put parameters. They put boundaries around you to give you a framework for your life. It gave you a foundation that then you could operate out of. They kept you safe from things that could harm you. They taught you to uh, where your place was in the world and how to operate in a way that honored others and cared for others. They grounded you with morality and responsibility and a healthy perspective. But when you're a kid, you don't see that. You just see you're ruining all my fun, right? 
Maybe that was just me. And some of you. I know some of you thought that too. And the scriptures operate the same way for us. Those immature in faith might look at the instructions of God and say, it's just a bunch of rules. Why would I live my life aligned with all these old rules and regulations? Why should I care about the instructions God has given to me? And why can't I just live my life any way I want to live my life? But those mature in the faith see the heart of a good father behind those instructions. That everything he gives us is for our highest good and our highest benefit. When he gives us a barrier not to cross, it is a guardrail to keep us from going over the edge, to keep us safe. And when he says no, it's because he's protecting us from something that could harm us. Can I say this, people of faith? This has become more important than ever. Our world is trying to throw off every structure. Society would tell us that the way to happiness is to remove all boundaries, barriers, definitions, and guardrails. And I say this with so much love in my heart. Because that is the greatest lie the enemy could ever give us. Because the boundaries and the structure are what makes us safe. They are not jails meant to stifle us, but they are fences meant to protect us so that we can reach the fullest potential that God has for us. And Psalm 119 is a reflection of someone who has matured to the understanding where he loves the framework that God has given him in his word. He understands that it is out of love and kindness in the word of God that scripture gives us grounding and safety and security for our lives. So I want to read a few portions, and then we're going to kind of talk about a few things in it in the time we have today. So Psalm 119, we're starting in verse 1, says this. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us, and I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and I will reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Be good to your servant that I might live and obey your word. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. I'm only a foreigner in the land, so don't hide your commands from me. I'm always overwhelmed with a desire for your regulations. 
You rebuke the arrogant. Those who wander from your commands are cursed. Don't let them scorn and insult me, for I have obeyed your laws. Even princes sit and speak against me, but I will meditate on your decrees. Your laws please me. They give me wise advice. That's just 24 verses. There's a whole lot more that goes on and on about the love for the instruction of God. Can you see the beauty in that? In a heart hungry to have the word of God integrated wholly and fully into your life. Someone who has determined that this book would be the guiding structure for their life. So how do we become like that? How do we come to love the word of God like this psalmist? What brought him to that place of maturity? How can we live our lives with a deep hunger for the instructions of God? So I have three things today that I think we can do to help us love the word of God like this. Number one, love for God's word begins with a love for God. That sounds simple, but it really is fundamental. These two things have to be connected. We cannot love God without loving his word. Because we cannot know and understand God without a revelation of his word. This is where the Bible tells us, God tells us who he is. It's his revelation to us of who he is, of what he thinks, of what he believes, of what is important to him. This is, tells us who God is. God has to be defined by truth. We don't get to make up the parameters of who God is. We find out who he is through the Bible. And so you cannot love God and hate the Bible. It does not work. Because you will create a God that fits your design. And that's no God at all. And so you cannot love God and hate the Bible. These two things have to be integrated. We cannot make God whoever we want him to be. And we cannot truly love God outside of a love for his word. We cannot love the word without a love for God. If we simply read this book of, as a guidebook for our lives without a relationship with God, well, then we'll simply view it as a list of do's and don'ts. And a lot of people that read the word but they don't love God go like, that's terrible. Why would I want to do that? The two have to be connected. And so if you're finding yourself, I read the Bible and it doesn't mean anything to me or it just feels like, this feels like a rule book. I want you to grow then in your love for God. Because when you understand who God is, suddenly his word feels less like a bunch of rules and more like that parental love of here is the instructions I have for you. And if you love God and yet you read the Bible and you're like, I don't, I don't want that, you are going to misrepresent who God is. They have to be connected. And I believe that Psalm 119 overflows with such a beautiful love for God word because the psalmist has cultivated this deep abiding love for God. And so the two come together and it's like an explosion, right? We have to cultivate our love for God. I will say this a million times. You will hear me say this over and over and over again. One of the most important things you can do in your life of faith is to guard your perception of God, to make sure that you view him actually who he is that he is everything this word says he is, that he is good, that everything he has for you is good. The enemy will try and tell you that he's just trying to steal your fun. He'll try and get you to take that immature view like a child who doesn't understand why a parent has put parameters. 
But if you keep coming back to God, I don't even understand why you said this. God, I don't understand. This does God, I don't even know why. And yet I know that you're good. I know that everything you ask me to do is for my highest benefit. I can stand in a place of things that I don't understand and be obedient, even when I don't get it, because I know the heart of God. And so the enemy, that's the first thing he tries to twist. It's what he did in the garden. He said to Adam and Eve, God's trying to keep something great from you. If you eat from this tree, you're going to be as smart as God. Look, he's trying to withhold anything. The enemy tried to get them to doubt the character of God. And so then they took what they wanted. But if we guard that perception of who God is and say, wait a minute, I know he's good. I don't understand why he has said no. I don't understand why he has asked me to do this or not do this. But I do know this. Whatever he says is trustworthy and good. If you do that, if you guard that, you will find a life of faith filled with joy, even in things that you don't understand. Don't let the enemy convince you that God is something other than he is. So our love for God's word begins with a love for God. And number two, our love for God's word grows when we see it at work in our lives. Let's look at another verse in this great psalm a little further down. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Everyone in this world is looking for truth and wisdom and insight. We're all just kind of wandering through life looking for answers, right? And the reality is the word of God has all of those answers for us. All of us. Whether we know Christ or not, we're stumbling around in the dark, wondering what is the right way? What is the right path? And the psalmist in this passage has discovered the secret, and you and I can discover it too. When we don't know what to do, this word turns on the light. It turns on the light in the dark. It shows us truth. It gives us win it, wisdom and insight. It gives us uh, instructions as to which way to go. When the word of God enters into the darkness... Our paths are illuminated. So how does he do that? Well, Hebrews tells us that the word of God is living and active. It isn't just a bunch of nice stories that we can all read. It actually has the power to help us. When we, need, when we have a need or we're seeking direction, the Holy Spirit will illuminate scriptures as we read them. And they will give us direction and insight as to which way we should go. How does that work for me? Well, when I'm seeking direction and wisdom from God, I open up his word and I ask him to show me through the scriptures which way I should go. And I have tons of places in my Bible where I have a word or a date or a name because I was like, God, I don't know what to do. God, help me figure out what to do with my kids. Lord, I don't know what to do about this situation. Or God, I need direction. Or what's the next step? Or help me solve this problem. And inevitably, the Lord will drop a scripture into my heart. And I will write right in the margin. And over and over and over again, I can see how the word of God has turned on the light in the moments when I didn't know what to do. One example is five years ago, I got a call um, to go back to work full-time. And the church, we were just growing. I loved working here and being at the church full-time, and it felt like such an odd thing. Uh, I'd been home with my kids for 18 years and wasn't looking for a job, but I got this invitation to go work full-time downtown at North Central University. And I thought, I don't want a job. <laughs> I have plenty of jobs, thank you very much. 
But I remember Jeff and I both feeling a little bit of like, I think we should just take a few days and pray about this. So we both prayed about it for a few days, and we both were kind of like, I don't know why. This came out of nowhere. I wasn't looking for it, but I feel like maybe this is what God has for us. And so we kind of kept praying, and then one day I was just asking God to confirm it. And the Lord dropped Psalm 2510 into my heart, which says, The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness. And that was it. I knew that he was leading. I didn't understand why. I still don't really understand why. But I just knew God leads out of love and faithfulness. So wherever he's leading, there's a reason why. And it's out of his love. It's out of his faithfulness. And that might not mean anything to you today. But for me, that was the confirmation I needed. I don't have to totally understand the whys of when he says to go. But I can know if he's leading, it's for my highest good. And he will be faithful to lead, and then he'll be faithful to direct me to the next step. And so that has been my, my screensaver on my work computer. I have it written because on the days that I think, I have too many jobs. I can't do this. I can't work full time and pastor at church. I stop and I look at it again and say, if you're leading, it's good. If you've led me here, you'll be faithful to supply everything I need to do it. And for five years, that verse has been my morning ritual. That's what I mean by the the word of God will be a light to you. It has been the grounding place for me in this season of my life. And God, I can speak over and over and over again, and I'm sure many of you can too, of a scripture that came into your darkness, turned on the light, and has continued to guide you. The word of God is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. So love for God's word begins with a love for God. Our love for God's word grows when we see it at work in our lives. And lastly, how can we come to love the word of God? Number three, our love for God's word grows when we learn to delight in the word. Here's two verses that I love. Psalm 119, 111 says, Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. And Psalm 119, 162 says, I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. I have to admit, there were a lot of years of my life where I felt like reading the Bible was a duty. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've ever felt that way. I'll just let you know that's been my experience. I did it because I was supposed to. I knew that I was supposed to do it, but I didn't find joy in it. I loved God, but it wasn't really until my mid-30s that I really began to love the word of God in a new way and to delight in the word of God. And honestly, what made the difference was I changed the way I read and studied the Bible. I stopped worrying about the quantity of what I read, and I instead focused on the quality of my time with the Lord and what I was reading. So here's a bit of my practice of how I study the Bible every day. I started by reading one or two verses, one or two verses. And sometimes I'll read one or two verses for a whole week. Sometimes I don't go any deeper than that. Then I write them down in the original, you know, my, I have like the NLT. So I start with the NLT and then I'll pull up at uh, biblehub.com, Bible Gateway or the Bible app on my phone. And I'll write it down in all the other translations. There's 30 or 40. And so sometimes they just have one little word difference. And so I'll write it down in all those different translations and see how it hits me different once I read it that way. Then I look up one or two of the words in that. Maybe there's a word that has stuck out to me. 
one part of it that has kind of illuminated that morning. So I'll either look, go back to the original language and see what I can learn. Sometimes I just look it up in the good old dictionary. What does this word mean? And then once I feel like I have a good understanding of it, I will rewrite it in my own words. What is this actually saying? If I were just to write this as to what it means to me, I'm going to rewrite it in my own words. Then I'll look up and find commentaries or other resources that might expound on that. And then I'll find other scriptures that are about the same topic. So in your own Bibles, there's cross-references. So I'm going to hold this up. If you look, if there's ever a little number next to your Bible, you can look over in the margin. This is a study Bible, but it'll show you other scriptures that have the same theme. Other places that you can go and find more scriptures. So this is just an easy way that you can kind of cross-reference other scriptures and see how they line up. So I really just go deeper as I study God's word. And let me tell you, it has made all of the difference. I began to see how truly remarkable it is. You start to see the connections from one place to another. You see how the Old Testament connects to the New Testament. You see how all of these incredible things came together. The brilliance and supernatural nature of what this book is. It truly is a treasure. You can never f not find a thrilling thing in the Bible. And I'm not just a total Bible nerd. I mean, I am that. But I'm telling you, for all of us, there is so much here. It is living and active and incredible. And once I began to understand the nature of Scripture, let me tell you, I love it. I don't have to, like, make it a duty. I crave my, what am I going to find today, right? Like when you're going treasure hunting, what am I going to find today? What am I going to unlock? There are days that I'm just studying because I want to study. There are days that I'm like, Lord, I need wisdom, and I will get into the scripture, and God will unlock some layer of his word to me, and it is thrilling, and I can say that now I truly delight in the word of God. I crave knowing more about it. And at this point in my life, it's, it's so much a part of my life and routine. I don't even have to think about it. It's just so much a part of what I want to do. So I want to encourage you, figure out what you can do to make the scriptures come alive to you. Figure out a way to make it come alive to you. Maybe you're super intellectual and you love history. Start looking at some of the history of different books of the Bible. Dig deeper. I want to challenge you this summer. Go a little bit deeper. Maybe read less and instead spend time learning more about each scripture and see if it doesn't come alive to you. I'm going to close by just sharing one more scripture, which is really important to me. In 1993, my grandpa Lane passed away. So this is my dad's father. He was a farmer and a cowboy, and after he died, I went and spent the summer with my grandma on the farm. And I remember her getting a call and saying, um, hey, grandpa's tombstone is ready. We want you to come out and look at it. And so we went out, and I remember going, and it was this big, huge, black granite headstone. And on it, they had his name and his birth date, but they had also engraved a picture of him sitting on a horse. It was from the back. He had his cowboy hat on, and he was overlooking the land, and it was just beautiful. But there was a scripture verse on his tombstone, and it was from Psalm 119. And it was verse 65, which says this, Great peace have those who love your law. Great peace 
have those who love your law. And that was the perfect definition of my grandfather. He loved the laws of God. He was, he was not out there trying to find himself. He was pretty locked into who he was. Faith, family, being a good neighbor, working hard. The precepts of God were so instilled in his bones. Let me tell you, it truly made him a man of peace. And I saw him live his life as a man of peace. And I don't know that it was until that moment when I saw that scripture verse that I realized why he was a man of peace. Because he loved the laws of God. It was the framework of his life, his entire life. I think about that a lot. I watched my grandparents and my parents and Jeff's parents and Jeff's grandparents lead these faithful, full lives for God. They have not had any huge train wrecks. Now, that doesn't mean that they haven't endured hardship and great difficulty, but they always seem to have ended up on their feet with their faith intact. They always seem to emerge with still a sense that God is good and God is for them. They have lived lives of peace, not perfection, but of peace. And it has brought peace to our families. It's brought peace to our lives. It's brought peace to the communities. If you would ever ask anybody, hey, Roger Lane Sr., what was he like? Oh, what a great man. He impacted his community. And it all comes back to this moment. He loved the laws of God. He was determined to make them the fundamental framework for his life and to live inside of them. I grew up in a home that was not filled with turmoil and chaos. There was and still is a, sa- a sense of safety and comfort and stability. And it's not because my parents are perfect. It's because they love the law of the Lord. And I recognize that many of you did not have that experience. And many of you are not having that experience right now. And everything feels chaotic. And you're not sure, how do I get this sense of peace? And I think the messaging in the world right now would be throw off all the restraints, step into whatever it is, and you'll feel better. And I'm here to tell you today that is not true. Step into the safety of the protection of the boundaries of the word of God. Step into it wholly, fully, lean into it, even the things you don't get and the things you don't understand. I don't understand some of the parameters that are there. I don't know. I wish I could explain it perfectly to you. I don't know. But I come back to the fact that this is true and God is good. So if you are desiring a life filled with peace, there's nothing better that you can do today but to step inside the safety of the word of God. Make this the guiding rule book for your life and live according to what it says. Let's bow our heads and pray today. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, it is your revelation to us of who you are. That's what makes it incredible. Because we learn who you are when we read its pages, when we study it. It is filled with your loving kindness and goodness. Lord, even the things that we don't fully understand, the things that that the world would say are, are restraints and restrictions, God, 
everything you ask of us is for our highest good and benefit. And so, Lord, we want to lean into even our questions, God. Lord, we believe that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So, God, I pray today that you would ignite a love for your word in our hearts, that we would desire it like a treasure, that we would spend time reading it, even if it feels clunky and weird, but, God, as we spend more time digging deeper into your word, that you would allow a love for it to just explode and grow, that we would be hungry for it, and that, Lord, we would align our lives with everything that it says. We love you, and we love your word today. So, Lord, I'm praying this week that there would just be a renewed hunger for your word in every single one of us, that we would take the time to seek you and to know you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here today. If you'd like prayer, we'll have people up front. Otherwise, have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.